Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. I really shouldn't feel this way. But every little thing they do in this book pisses me off. They had that one good chapter, and then it just all... (sighs) Carter is a piece of shit, too. I ain't even going to go into details. He just is. I called it. Thankfully, we are on chapter 24, which means we have hmm, two chapters left. Let's fucking do it. Chapter 24. No guns. No goons. Just me and you. Carter. Carter looked in his rearview mirror and noticed the same two cars had been following him for blocks. At that moment, he knew that the feds were on him. The white boys who were driving the cars that were telling him were a dead giveaway. Yeah, because there's no white people in Miami. You know where the feds wouldn't have been on you, though? Brazil. If you had stayed there and never came back like you had said. But, you know, we don't know what happened, so... Carter immediately put his pedal to the metal and bent a couple of corners to shake him. With this foreign car and world-class speed, there was no competition. Carter checked his rearview mirrors after a couple of corners and brief stretches, and just as he expected, he was in the clear. He headed towards the hospital for Zaire. It was a must that they shook out of town until things died down. The heat from the authorities was too much to bear. As Carter made his way towards the hospital... His phone began to ring. He looked down at his caller ID and noticed that the call originated from Los Angeles, California. He picked it up, only to hear another person breathing on the phone. Hello? He said again and still received no answer. He then knew that the call was come from Polo. It was a discreet way of letting Carter know that the feds were about to move in on him. Carter hung up his phone and shook his head in frustration. He knew that if he stayed around, it was only a matter of time before he went down. First and foremost, he had to get his little man out the city too. Zaire was his right-hand man from day one, and he refused to flee the city and leave Zaire hanging out to dry. Carter arrived at the hospital and immediately knew that he would be walking into a trap. He could spot unmarked cars from a mile away, and the entrances were swarmed with them. Fuck! He said as he hit his steering wheel with force and aggression. 
Force and aggression. I... Two chapters. He picked up his phone and called Zaire. Hello? Zaire answered in a low, raspy tone. Listen, who in there with you? Carter asked, getting straight to the point. Just me and Fly Boogie, Zaire said as he slowly sat up in the bed while grimacing. Listen closely, because we don't have a lot of time. The feds are coming in. Do me a favor. Tell Boogie to look outside the door and see if there's any agents outside the, the door. Really? We talk about this, and I, I guess I shouldn't get on y'all after the fact for the fact that you keep fucking up. But, again, motherfuckers, do me a favor. Tell Boogie to look outside the door and see if there's any agents outside of it. Or, tell Boogie to look outside the door and see if there's any agents out there. Carter said as he pulled off and looked at the cop cars filing into the hospital through his rearview mirror. Zaire immediately told Fly Boogie to check, and he poked his head outside the door and came back. It looks clear. Just a couple of nurses, he said as he stood there wide-eyed, trying to figure out what was about to go down. Shit looks normal, Zaire said to Carter. Okay, good, good. That means they're on their way to you right now. Listen, you have to get the fuck out of there, Zaire. Like, right now, Carter said. Damn. Okay, cool. Where are you at? Zaire answered. Meet me at the takeoff spot. You already know what it is, Carter said, not wanting to tip off anyone, just in case he had wiretaps on his phone. Even though you just tipped him off that, you know, you know that they're outside and coming in and... Ugh. On my way, Zaire said as he began to snatch the wires off of him that were monitoring his heart rate. Yo, Zaire, Carter said as his tone dropped. What up, big homie? Zaire replied. I'm not leaving without you, so make sure you get there, Carter said with all sincerity in his tone. I'll be there, Zaire confirmed just before he hung up the phone. Carter headed in the direction of Monroe's condominium. He had unfinished business with his brother that needed to be handled. Carter made sure that there wasn't anyone trailing him before he turned into Monroe's place. Carter took his gun from his waist and exited the car. He threw the gun in the seat, not one to even have it on him when approaching Monroe. He didn't want to go that route when approaching Monroe. Carter just had to tie up loose ends. You could have said he didn't want to go that route with him, but you know, semantics. Carter walked to the doorstep and knocked. He didn't know what to expect on the opposite end, but he was prepared for whatever God had in store for him. As Carter waited for someone to answer, he got a bad feeling in the pit of his stomach. He took a deep breath and then exhaled, trying to calm his nerves. The sounds of locks being unclicked sounded. Y'all ain't even trying now. And Carter stood strong as he waited for the face of his brother to appear. Once the door was open, he realized it wasn't a face he was staring at. But it was the barrel of a double pump shotgun that Monroe was holding about five inches from his nose. I come in peace, Carter said as he put both his hands up. Carter walked towards the gun, pressing his chest against the barrel and slowly walking Monroe backwards. I want no smoke, bro. Just want to talk, Carter pleaded as he spoke softly, slowly, and collected. There was no hostility showing in his voice or mannerisms. 
He knew that he was playing Russian roulette at that point, but he knew that it had to be resolved. You come to my house after you sent your little mans to get me? You must be out your mind, Monroe said as he stopped and dug the barrel in the Carter's chest even deeper. You're right. But if I recall right, you sent Buttons niggas to kill me in Rio. Remember that? Look, we've both been at each other, but this shit has to stop, Carter said with no malice in his heart. He also, you know, shot up your house as soon as he left the family gathering where y'all had the big forgiveness session. I'm tired of the killings. I just want this shit to end. Honestly, I would prefer if you get this gun out of my chest. If you want, I'll shoot you a fair one and we can handle it like men, Carter said, referring to one-on-one fight. No guns, no goons. Just me and you, Carter suggested. Monroe paused as if he was in deep contemplation and then released a small smile, gladly wanting to take Carter up on his offer. Monroe slowly lowered the gun and tossed it on the couch. Carter stepped completely in the house and closed the door behind him. He then took off his shirt, exposing his chiseled body and ripped abs. I thought you would never ask, playboy, Monroe said as he snatched off his shirt and put up his hands. They were both the direct bloodline of the most fearless man who would ever walk the earth. Carter Diamond. So there was no fear in either one of their hearts. Carter also put his hands up, and the men began to circle each other in the middle of Monroe's living room. This ass whooping's been a long time coming, Carter said as he began to inch closer to his brother. Monroe threw a first punch. Carter sidestepped to the left, just barely missing getting hit by Monroe's punch. Almost simultaneously, Carter snapped a quick jab to Monroe's kidney. Too slow, little nigga, Carter said as he smiled and swiped his nose, taunting him. This enraged Monroe. Monroe began to throw haymakers at Carter, trying to knock his head off. Carter caught a couple of them, but the majority of them he dodged artistically. Carter saw that Monroe was getting tired, and he knew that it was time for him to put in work. He went after Monroe relentlessly. Left hook, right hook, jab, sending Monroe flying onto his back. Carter then pounced on Monroe, straddling him while wrapping both hands around his neck, trying to choke the life out of him. Monroe fought for air as Carter gripped his neck tightly. Monroe felt that Carter was much stronger than him and knew that he needed help getting Carter off him. He reached for the lamp and grabbed it. He then smashed it against Carter's head, making the lamp shatter into pieces and temporarily getting Carter off him. Carter flew to the ground as the world began to spin. He temporarily saw stars and tried to get up but couldn't keep his balance. Monroe, on the other hand, was panting on the ground, trying to catch his breath. Blood leaked from Monroe's swollen lip, and Carter had a huge gash on the right side of his head. It was an awkward moment of silence as both of them leaned their back against the wall and tried to regain their composure. We could have been a dynasty. We could, Monroe tried to say in between breaths as he steadily held his throbbing neck. That was the plan, Carter said as he sweated profusely and sucked air, trying to get his wind. You let that nigga Zaire take my place, Monroe admitted as he expressed his true feelings. He was envious of the place Zaire held in his brother's life. They were close, and Monroe felt as if he had missed out by being away from life for so long. So Polo was right. And in him being right, you really just a punk-ass nigga. You really a punk. This is me talking. This is not Carter at all. 
you you really a punk. Like you really jealous. And instead of using your words like a grown up, you decide to go to war over nothing. <sighs> Zaire is my nigga. He's been with me from the start. He wasn't taking anyone's place because he always had a place of his own. So that's what this is all about, huh? I just believe in blood over everything. I was raised in this drug game, and what I learned is that anyone will cross you for the right price. But family? Family doesn't have a price. Family's forever. Diamonds are forever. That's how we sound right now. Because he literally stepped in and tried to get everybody killed because Zaire stepped into his brother's heart. But Zaire was already there. And if you had just asked, they could have talked this out. You shot your brother's house up. Huh. Diamonds are forever. We have to end this money. We have to, Carter said as he looked over at Monroe. Neither of them wanted the beef to go any further. It was as if them saying the diamonds are forever released the tension out of the room. I've lost everybody from this game. This game has no love for anyone. I don't want to lose the only brother I have left behind this, Carter admitted. I want this shit to be over too, bro. I swear to God I do. It seems like it's at a point of no return, Monroe replied. It's never too late, my nigga. All we have to do is let it end here, Carter said as he slowly stood up, sneering at his aching headache. He reached down his hand to Monroe and looked at his brother in the eyes. Monroe paused and took a long, hard thought about what he was about to do. He took a deep breath and reached out his hand, letting his older brother help him up. They embraced and rocked back and forth, both of their souls being cleansed in the process. Now we have to go. The fads are coming, Carter said as he went to the window and looked out over the street cautiously. We have to go. They'll be here any minute. What? Monroe asked, trying to grasp what was going on. They're on the Estes, which means they're on all of us. Just come on. I don't have time to explain, but I have a jet waiting to take us to Bermuda. All we have to do is make it to the airstrip. We have to go, Carter said as he fled out the door. Monroe followed closely behind, and just like that, they were gone out the door. Zaire looked at the dashboard and saw Fly Boogie pushing over 120 miles per hour. Zaire then looked in his rearview mirror and saw the trail of police cars and flashing lights. They were on a high-speed chase, and Zaire knew that it wasn't looking good. He looked at Fly Boogie and noticed a grin on his face. He was actually enjoying the high-stakes car chase. A helicopter was hovering above him, keeping up with their every move. Zaire shook his head and had no choice but to smile. He gripped his wounded stomach and felt his phone vibrate. It was Carter. I'm on my way, but I have a couple friends with me, Zaire said, knowing that it didn't look good for him. I'm waiting for you, homie. You have to get here. I'm not leaving without you, Zaire. Make a way, Carter said confidently. He heard the sirens in the background and knew that Zaire wasn't looking too good. Carter hung up the phone and took a deep breath. He and Monroe were sitting on the jet, waiting to go. Carter looked at his watch and took a deep breath. What? Why so many deep breaths? He'll be here, he assured Monroe as he looked out of the window.
Come on, Zai, he whispered to himself. Fly Boogie jumped off the highway, pushing almost 150 miles per hour. He had created about a 30-second lead on the cops, and he had an idea. He saw a tunnel and knew that this was their only chance. With the helicopter still on their tail, Fly Boogie raced into the tunnel and stopped about halfway through it. And did the shit from set it off. I was wondering why Fly Boogie's been in this book for so long. Seriously. And it's so then they can write out Cleo's role and set it off. Okay. Look, big homie, you go that way, and I'm going to shoot out this way, taking all them feds away from you. Damn, Boogie, I'm not going to let you go out like that. Fuck it, I'm rolling with you. Let's get it, Zaire said bravely as he steadily clutched his stomach and frowned. Nah, I got you, big homie. They want you, not me. I have zero strikes and they have nothing on me. This shit gonna make me a legend in the hood, Fly Boogie said as he kept a childish grin on his face. Zaire shook his head and returned the smile. You a crazy little nigga, you know that? Zaire said as he held out his hand and gave Boogie a pound. And you know this, he said playfully as he dapped up his mentor. Zaire got out of the car and began to walk the opposite way. Fly Boogie put the pedal to the metal and shot out of the tunnel like a bat out of hell. He shot out of the tunnel, and the helicopter got right back on his tail. They didn't have to say that. It's redundant. The federal agent in the helicopter called out Fly Boogie's location, and a mile down the road, the cops were back on him. This time, it was double the amount of marked cars chasing him. Fly Boogie was about to go down like a G. Zaire casually walked into a gas station that was nearby and used the payphone to call a cab. Within 30 minutes, he was pulling up at the jet strip where Carter was waiting for him. Carter helped him into the jet, and Zaire was startled when he reached the door and saw a hand reaching to help him in. It was Monroe. Zaire got onto the aircraft, and Carter immediately shut the door. Okay, let's go, he yelled to the pilot as they took off. Carter looked at Zaire and then Monroe. He was determined to bring his family back together, and he was not taking no for an answer. Before they would kill each other, Carter would kill them both. He wanted the war to end for good. They have other problems ahead of them. Problems that they could have never foreseen. The three biggest gangsters in history were on their ass. The FBI. The jet lifted into the air and disappeared into the clouds as three of the realest niggas in Miami flew off into the sunset. Carter directed the pilot to head directly towards the Bermuda Triangle a no-fly zone where many aircrafts have vanished in American history. He instructed Zaire and Monroe to sit back and relax until they reached their destination. He had a plan, a master plan, that might last for only like two weeks before he comes back to Miami. Carter sat back in the luxury chair and stared out the window. Just before they entered the Bermuda Triangle, he smiled and whispered, Diamonds are forever. So, yeah, y'all just left your families behind, like, completely. I'm sure in the last chapter they're going to send for them, right? Okay, let's see. Final chapter. I'm numb to the death around by now. It doesn't even matter. Breeze. Weeks later. Lena lay in bed, holding her son to her chest as she cried her eyes out over Monroe. She had lost him once before and now she was reliving the horror of his death all over again. 
How can a plane just fall out of the sky without anyone noticing? God, please keep them. Bless their souls, she prayed silently. The minutes on the clock ticked by, torturously slow as she waited for the sun to break through the dark sky. She needed to speak with Breeze and Mia Moore. They were all that she had left. Lena felt more vulnerable than ever, and they were the only women in the world who could relate to her pain. Widows of the cartel, they had more in common now than they ever had before. Through circumstance, they had been made sisters, and everything that their men had left behind was now in their hands. Power, paper, prestige, an entire empire now lay at their feet. Lena kissed her son's head, grabbed her cell phone off the nightstand, and rose from the bed. Putting on her silk kimono robe, she walked out onto the balcony to overlook the entire estate. Monroe had her living in a lap of luxury. Their mansion rested on a 10-acre compound on the outskirts of the city limits. He provided her with the best of everything. From labels to diamonds, she was afforded her heart's desires, but the material things seemed so pointless now. None of it mattered. She would burn the multi-million dollar wall she dwelled into the ground if it meant money could live again. What she wanted most was time with the man she loved. It seemed as though life always tore them apart, and for a second time she was mourning his loss. Her mind was so full and her heart so heavy that she could barely breathe. She felt weighted with emotion, and she needed to get some of it off her chest. Lena dialed Mia Moore's number. Full attention, she didn't even realize she was holding her breath. Lena, why are you awake? It's so late, Mia Moore answered. Lena exhaled loudly and chuckled slightly. I could ask you the same thing. Doesn't sound like you're getting too much sleep either. The baby's restless. To be honest, so am I. I miss him. I can't believe he's gone, Mia Moore admitted. He was all I had left. So what the hell do I do now? Lena's heart went out to Mia Moore. To see Carter and her together was to see true love. Lena knew that not even her own relationship with Monroe could rival the one she witnessed whenever she was around them. Have you spoken to Breeze? Lena asked. The sound of sirens broke through the silent night, and Lena looked around in confusion, and then she looked at her security cameras. The police are here, Lena announced. Unmarked black cars were pulling onto her property. They must have found the plane, Lena whispered as she rushed back into the house, tightening the belt on her kimono as she rushed through the massive mansion. I'll call you back, Lena said. Lee, wait, Mia Moore began to protest, but Lena ended the call. Her feet slapped the cold tile floor as she headed towards the front door, frantically, as hope began to rise in her broken heart. She flung open the door and ran out into the yard, meeting the officer in the front of her home before they even got out of their vehicles. She was taken aback when she saw how many had come. By the time she realized something was wrong, it was too late. Twenty federal agents exited their vehicles swiftly with automatic weapons aimed towards her face. Red beams appeared all over her upper torso, and as Lena looked down, she realized that all it took was an itchy trigger finger to end her life. Let me see your hands. On the ground now. Lena went deaf as the thunderous hum of a helicopter roared above her head. The windstorm that it created as it circled above her, shining a bright spotlight on her, caused her hair to blow wildly. What? 
What's going on? She shouted frantically. Hands up. On the ground now. Lena was manhandled to the cement as she resisted their demands. She watched as the feds swarmed her home. Wait. My son is inside. My son is in the house, she screamed as she tried to stand. One of the men put a forceful knee in her back, causing her to grimace in pain as he cuffed her wrist tightly. The metal bit into her skin, and her wrist snapped from the agent's brute force. They had no sympathy for her as they made their arrest. You can't do this. I've done nothing wrong. My son, if you touch one hair on his head, I will have your fucking head, she screamed as she had resisted arrest. She lunged, kicking and screaming as she tried to break free. All she could think of was her son. Lena had no idea why she was even under arrest, but the feds had come at her so heavy that she could only assume the worst. Lena's heart broke in half as they forced her into the car. She looked out of the rearview mirror and saw her son crying hysterically in the arms of one of the men. She broke down instantly. She had no clue what would become of her and her child. Please, just tell me what's going on. What will happen to my son, she asked as snot and tears wrecked her pretty face. There was no keeping her composure. Lena was distraught. She knew the tides of life were changing. With the death of the men, the feds had grown balls of steel. They would have never come at the cartel with such arrogance and disrespect otherwise. Your son will be placed in temporary custody of the state, one of the feds said as he drove away from her home. No, please, you can't, she said with a gasp. We can and we will. Unless you can tell us something that will make us change our minds and set you free. Your cooperation will make all of this go away. So do yourself a favor and tell us what you know about the murders, the cocaine, the dirty money laundering that the cartel's involved in. It's in your best interest to start talking. I made them sound like that because fuck the cops and also fuck the cops. But fuck the cops. And fuck the cops. If any of you are cops... You should fucking donate to the show's reparations. You got a lot of money because you got a lot of overtime fucking over black people in your neighborhood. Or rather, in your districts. Because I know y'all don't live where you actually operate. I'm not telling you anything, Bree stated as she sat with her hands behind her back, handcuffed to the hard chair. We have evidence against you and everyone affiliated with the cartel. We have you for drug trafficking, running a criminal enterprise, Fraud, tax evasion, the list goes on and on. Breeze kept her eyes on the wall in front of her, barely blinking as she blocked out the voice of the federal agent. The olive-skinned man leaned in menacingly over Breeze, using intimidation tactics to get her to break. Zaire had trained her well. Breeze knew better than to volunteer any information. They couldn't even get her prints on a coffee cup. She was so seasoned. Yeah, because growing up, you know... As the daughter of a drug lord didn't teach you shit, but Zaire showed you the ropes. Growing up in the folds of the largest organization in the South had prepared her for this moment. We found pieces of an aircraft scattered throughout the Atlantic Ocean, about 150 miles off the coast of Bermuda. Too bad the cowards left their ladies to take the fall for their bad deeds. Yeah, right, they parachuted and let the fucking plane crash. Breeze's eyes turned dark at the insult, and her heart wrenched. You don't have anything on me, Breeze said. We have everything on you. 
You recognize this face? The agent tossed a photo of Estes onto the table in front of her, and Breeze turned green as her stomach turned. Let's just say family doesn't mean much these days. He's singing like a canary, and has implicated not only your husband and brothers, but you and a hundred other mid- and low-level dealers across the state, the agent said. He noticed that Breeze's demeanor had changed. Not so cocky now, huh, princess, he mocked. We picked up over 30 people directly affiliated with the cartel. You're standing tall, but do you honestly think all of them will too? Now the way this works is whoever talks first gets a deal. There's only one way out of this. Magdalena, Mia Moore yelled in urgency as she quickly dressed. The Spanish housekeeper appeared in the doorway. I need you to watch the baby. Do not let anyone in this house under any circumstances. I don't care if God himself knocks on this door. You don't let anyone in. Comprende? See, si, see, si, Magdalena replied. Mia Moore placed a call to Carter's attorney. Within minutes, she was headed to the federal building. She knew the game. And now that the feds felt the cartel was weakened, they were coming in for the kill. There was no way that Mia Moore was letting all the Carter had built be destroyed. She had watched him closely studied the way that he reigned, and just as she had in life, she would now hold him down in death. She already knew that Lena had been arrested, and when she couldn't reach Breeze, she had a gut feeling that she was being held to. Surely they had intended to come for her next, but Mia Moore moved to her own beat. She wasn't being taken into custody without representation. She rode in the back of the plush interior of the Maybach as her driver guided it through the city streets. Mia Moore's chest heaved as anxiety crept into her bones. Today, her worst fear was coming true. She was about to go up against the law. Most who did it had no wins. But with the team of sharks that Carter had left her with, she was confident that she would come out of things unscathed. The team arrived at her destination, and Mia Moore saw that Carter's legal team was waiting on the top of the steps. Steve Rosenberg, the best esquire in the city, was already on retainer. Standing confident and dapper as ever in a Brooks Brothers suit, he waited with a briefcase in hand. Mia Moore waited for her driver to open her door. Then she emerged from the vehicle. Miss Matthews, I'm glad you were smart enough to call me, he said as she shook his hand. Thank you for coming, Mr. Rosenberg, she replied anxiously. Looks like they're reaching a bit. They do have extensive evidence on Carter, Zaire, and Monroe. But seeing as though they are now deceased, that pigeonholes their investigation. They're using scare tactics to try and get an informant out of you ladies. The cartel has been responsible for drugs and crime in this city. They need a kingpin to tie it to. But in this case, they're willing to settle for a queenpin. Since they can't get your men, they're now gunning for the three of you. They have Lena and Breeze. Have they turned them? Mia Moore asked as she bit her inner jaw hoping that the ladies could stand tall under pressure. Not yet, but let's go get them out of there before one of them do. The DEA has been known to flip the most hardened of criminals. Just seeing the face of such a prestigious defense attorney turned the tables in the girl's favor. Within an hour, Breeze and Lena were released, but the struggle was far from over. They'll keep coming for you. As long as they have Estes' cooperation, it's only a matter of time before they bring indictments down on anyone he's naming. I'll do more research in the morning to find out what we're up against. 
I'll be in touch, Rosenberg said. What about my son? Lena asked urgently. I've already made arrangements to have him return to you. As soon as they process the paperwork, a caseworker will drop him off to your home. Shouldn't take more than a few hours. He bid adieu to the ladies, and they each watched him pull away. They found the plane, Breeze informed sadly as tears flooded her eyes. It crashed in the middle of the ocean. Divers are still looking for their bodies. What are we going to do? Everything's falling apart, Lena whispered. The three women formed a small circle and put their arms around each other, creating a circle of power, street royalty. They were the queens who would inherit the throne. We do what we have to do. We take over the cartel, Mimor replied, and the first thing on the agenda is to clear our names. She turned sympathetically towards Breeze. I know that Essence is your grandfather, but... Breeze put her hand up and interrupted. Do what needs to be done. If he's talking, it'll be well-deserved anyway. I'm numb to the death around by now. It doesn't even matter. Do you guys know what this means? We can't just step in their shoes. I just sat back and spent the money. I'm not in the streets. I don't know the first thing about running anything. I can't do this, Lena protested. You can and you will. For years we sat back and watched the throne. It's time we inherited it. It's our time now, ladies, and we either do this together or watch the entire cartel fall. The vultures will pick everything our men established apart until there's nothing left if we don't assume their roles, Mia Moore schooled. She knew the streets. She had come up in the trenches, and her murder game was official. There was nothing in her that was scared of this opportunity. She was reveling at the chance to continue Carter's legacy. We have no muscle, Bree said. Some will stay loyal. Others will test us. Niggas gonna learn a hard lesson when they buck, but they're not knocking us off, me and Moore assured. First, we memorialize our men. Give them a homecoming that the streets will never forget, Lena whispered. Breeze nodded and added, then the takeover begins. Yeah, fucking right. They wouldn't have said Carter had a plan if they didn't. Nigga, please. Y'all are not leaving the cartel in the hands of the women that y'all have abused for four fucking books. You're not. Because what? You're going to just suddenly make them powerful out of nowhere? What? You're going to make them strong and they should have been when you first wrote the goddamn books? We don't believe you. You need more people. When I open up book five, when I get back to it, I bet time will have passed just like it did before and you're going to forget everything you did. What the fuck happened to Ileana? The fuck happened to Mexican cartel? What the fuck happened to Brazil? What the fuck happened to murder going to Brazil? What the fuck did Lena see in Brazil? They don't talk about none of that. Why the fuck did murder think or money think he ran shit for five years? What the fuck happened with that? Why don't we learn anything about the trauma he went through that led to him thinking that he deserved to run this motherfucker? What happened to the company that he was waiting to get money from? What happened to any of that? He didn't even go back. No? None of it? Okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. 916? 
633-1537, ratchetandratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for the show. You can leave a review for this episode. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review on Good Pods. You can leave a review on Stitcher, allegedly. I don't care where you leave a review. Just leave a review. Honestly, if you have Apple, you can download the Good Pods app. And then you can do a threesome. You can leave a review on Podchaser, cut and copy that same review, take it right over to Apple Podcasts, cut and copy that same review, take it right over to Good Pods. Boom, boom, boom. You can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on Good Pods, you can just tip a nigga. All the money goes towards buying books like this. I don't believe it. I refuse to. They've done way too much fuckery to these poor young ladies for that shit to finally jump off in their favor. And Robin and Aries were not in this book at all, were they? Not a drop. They don't know if their friend's alive at all. That's wild. That's wild. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?